0: When I chose this life-changing moment as a topic for the podcast, I chose the soundtrack Flames by David Guetta and Sia because the lyrics describe my process of overcoming the challenges when I taught an inclusion class. The lyric says, one foot in front of the other. One breath leads to another. Just keep moving. Look within for the strength today. Listen now for the voice to say, just keep moving. Go, 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 figure it out figure it out, but don't stop moving. Go, 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 figure it out, figure it out. You can do this. The lyric speaks to the numerous times I chose to persevere despite my inadequacies and reaching students and the patience it took to find and develop the skills needed to master a trying process. everyone, welcome to the Jess show. All right. So today you all, we're going to be talking about overcoming challenging times in education. Um, so we all know if you're a teacher, we are struggling, you know, with education right now due to the pandemic, uh, we're trying to teach virtually. And if, even if we are face to face. Um, We're still, you know, doing the social distance and still trying to, you know, accommodate students to where they would still learn and make it as normal as possible for them Um, and for ourselves. So this is very, very tough. But my situation is going to be a little bit different. My um, topic is a little bit different. It actually relates to last year before the pandemic. Um. 2019 to 2020 school year um during that time i was a second year teacher and i was told the news that i would be teaching um an inclusion class and i had never taught an inclusion class before um i did not know what to expect (laughs) and nor did i have the tools or the strategies to help um students with special needs so um, I, I don't know, I had mixed feelings about it. So the good news was though, I had a co-teacher who was experienced. So I said, okay, this will help me, you know, with the burden that I may have coming into this classroom. Um, so uh, when the first day of school started and as the school year started, um, I noticed that it was very challenging because there were a variety of needs uh, that the students needed and it was very hard to accommodate them. Um, for instance, I had some students who uh, struggled with speech. Um, so it was very hard to understand what they were saying. Um, and then eventually I could understand what they were saying. And <laughs> I remember teachers, they would say, what did he say? And I would be able to repeat what they said. But in the beginning, it was very tough. Uh, I had to, you know, really ask them to repeat themselves. Um, and I had a, a few kids like that. Um, some of my scholars at the time, and still to this day um, suffered with just um, emotional, you know, behavior disorders where they did not know how to cope with their behavior or the outbursts that they were having frequently throughout the day. And it caused a major disturbance in the classroom. Um, and, you know, we it was very, very difficult for me um, because I was trying to deal with that and it was multiple kids who were like that. As well as some of other needs, such as I had another student who um, suffered with vision and um, he could see, but he just could not look directly at something um, or at someone. So he couldn't look straight ahead, but he would walk and he would have to turn his head to the side when he would walk. So when it was time for him to write or say, for instance, write his name, I noticed he would write um, a lot of numbers um, in his name. And so um, that was very difficult, but we we got through it, and um, it was it was very hard. And I remember just before I got to work for the, I mean. I want to say the first two or three months of school, I cried every single day when I got home because I was so overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. And um, I got the news, my co-teacher, she had an emergency. And so she had to leave the job and we were searching for a co-teacher. So we, you know, people were in and out of the classroom with me. So it was, very difficult and it was so difficult to the point that I wanted to quit my job um I actually said hey I'm I really wanted to walk out I you know I never told anyone that at the, <laughs> at the moment um but I did express like that this was very uh, overwhelming for me. And so um, today we're going to actually listen to um, a woman by the name of Rita Harris. And I found this archive in the Richard E. Russell Library from UGA. Um, She has a very interesting story. um, And I'm sorry, not the Russell E. Richard B. Russell Library um, from the University of Georgia. And there is an interview that she, did, and it was very, very interesting. Um, her situation related to how I felt in the classroom in the beginning. And she talked about um, how she was very independent in the beginning of her life. Uh, she was an educator as well. She still is an educator. Um, and she loved working with students with um, who had disabilities. And she uh, was very ambitious, uh, very adventurous. Um, She was a daredevil. So she liked to try uh, different things until one day she um, had something happen to her and she became very dependent. And so it took away the qualities of life that she used to live um, before she suffered with this disability. So I'm going to let you listen to a little bit of her story and her struggles and how she got through this.
1: My name is Stephanie Irvin. I'm going to have a conversation with Rita Harris for Our Stories, Our Lives, an oral history project with the Georgia Libraries for Accessible Statewide Services. It is July 12th, and this is being recorded at the Morgan County Library. Hi,
2: I'm Rita Harris, and I will be telling you my story. Um, I was Born and raised in a small town in Good Hope, Georgia, and even from childhood all the way up through teenage, adolescent, through adult, I have always been very, very outgoing. Um, I consider myself as an adrenaline junkie. Um, The only thing I fear is the fear of God. Nothing, I don't have fear of anything else. And I'm saying that to lead up to me being visually impaired. The year of 2002 is when I became visually impaired. Um, Let me back up a little. From 1997 up until 2002, I noticed difficulty in my vision. And I had gone to three different ophthalmologists, and I was misdiagnosed all three times, and um, when there was a very significant decrease in my vision, I went to a retina specialist, and that's when I was correctly diagnosed with RP, which is known as retinitis pigmentosa. This was in 2002. Well, from there, my life changed drastically. I went from being this total outgoing social person, full of adrenaline, to being socially withdrawn. Um, ang- I went through anger, depression, and it, it was a very, very hard transition for me. I would not go on any social outings or would not accept any invitations. I would always make up excuses to why I couldn't go because in all honesty i felt very ashamed of myself i felt like i wasn't whole it wasn't me and for a long time i tried to hide it it was like that you know you smile on the outside and you cry as you're dying on the inside no one knew but my immediate family which include my husband and my children well, um, I was in despair for such a long time. Um, and like I said, I was just very, very angry. Um, I was in denial. At first, I was in denial because I didn't want to give up the things that I loved doing, which was um, working. I worked in the school system, assisting children with disabilities. I love shopping, and I love driving. I would drive to Timbuktu if I had to to get somewhere. Um,
0: Wow. Rita talked about her struggles and how she went from independence to dependence due to her becoming visually impaired. I chose Rita's story because her struggles in coping with her situation relates to how my students struggle with their disabilities. But Rita's story does not end here. She overcomes her struggles of being visually impaired and lives a fulfilled and successful life. We will listen to some of Rita's accomplishments after the break. Welcome back, everyone, to The Jess Show. All right, so we left off talking about how teaching students with special needs is very difficult. But learning the strategies and enduring the process to help them reach success and independence is rewarding. We will listen to how Rita learns to live a fulfilled and independent life, even though she is visually impaired.
2: I am on the ADA committee at hartsville jackson international airport as well and madden and i um just completed a project with hartsville jackson international airport where um, i told my story and i was creative with it because by the way i do poetry as well and i wrote my um my journey it's called journey to light um Mm -hmm. my story of my time being vision impaired, I put it in a po- in, in poetry, and it was chosen. So Madden and I will be on a, dis- we would um, display a 24 foot wall on the International Concourse F at the Atlanta airport where there's pictures of us and graphic art, designs of Madden and I, and the poem, and it will also be printed in braille form as well. So that's exciting, exciting. Um, I do motivational speaking. I go into classrooms and do presentations on um, visually impaired, because my main thing is encouraging, 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 because no matter what your obstacles are, you can overcome those obstacles. You have to believe in yourself, where my motto is you reach for the stars. You don't allow your disability to handicap you. And you don't have to have a disability to reach for the stars. You can do anything you set your mind to. You just have to be dedicated and determined. And you also have to have that mind of persevering.
0: So Rita's accomplishments reminds me of my own accomplishments and how I successfully learned to teach students with disabilities. In October, I remember I began to utilize strategies and gain help from other teachers. And I remember I got a new partner teacher who was able to collaborate with me and the needs of exceptional students. I learned to develop relationships with them, be more patient with my scholars, and even respond with consistent answers and tone. Um, Things are really starting to turn around for me. Um, Scholars started becoming involved and becoming independent. And um, just as the student I was just telling you about before, the one um, who could not look straight ahead, he actually um, he had a job of his own in the classroom and his job was to stack the chairs every day and to collect, collect and plug in the iPads. And I remember when he was stacking the chairs, um, we only could stack four chairs at the time. And so he would count, if there were too many chairs, he would count one, two, three, four. And if there were too many chairs, he'll take one away and you know, make sure there are exactly four chairs stacked. And it was just a joy in seeing him doing that. Even with him following the procedures and routines um, in the classroom, as far as knowing when to get up and go get the iPads and then plug them in. Um, And so that was really, really joyful for me me. Um, And and it made me really glad because that was my goal for students, for all students was to be independent. Um, And so not only that, but even the students who had um, behavior issues. Um, I we even came together with a strategy to use um, the clip chart and the clip chart was used to monitor the behavior. And by the end of the day, if students were um, on role model, then they would get incentives. So the clip chart consisted of different behavior goals. So it would have um, everyone started off on good day. And then um, if they display good behavior, they would be recognized for it. And then we would move their um, clip up to. role model and then after role model they display good behavior again we will recognize them and then we we'll move their clip up to outstanding and then once they got on outstanding they will be able to choose um from the dojo wall we would call it and they would choose an incentive and they love that and that really really helped a lot of my um, all of my students really but also too it also worked for uh, my students who had a lot of behavior issues, um, those who just couldn't really control um, some of their impulses. And so it really, really helped them. Um, and so um, just throughout all of this, it has really been, it turned into a joy for me. Um, and then also, too, I can reflect on some of the students who just, you know, had a hard time learning. <laughs> you know, and um, we did a science project. And I remember um, one of my students who had a disability, he did a meteorologist project and he recorded the temperature. He explained the symbols of the weather. Um, and then after that, he had like a little meteorologist stick and he was just pointing to the the temperature and the weather symbols. And it was really, really exciting. Um, and so this reminds me of Rita's motto um, and her motto was to reach the stars meaning that anyone can be successful with dedication and perseverance and I really believe on that all right welcome back to the just show All right, you all. So now we're getting ready to um, go into a new story um, about a little girl who suffers from Down syndrome and how she navigates her way through an inclusive setting. I'm gonna give you a little bit of a background story on Ruby. Ruby is a kindergartner who has Down syndrome, but is educated in an inclusion classroom. Ruby shows independence in her classroom through writing and participating in reading and collaborative conversations. One of her biggest moments is being socially accepted. Let's listen to Ruby's story as she navigates in an inclusive setting.
3: As a mama, I really want the world to see what I see in my daughter. When Ruby was born, doctors told us that she was working an extra chromosome. At the time, we didn't know much about Down syndrome. What we did know is that we wanted Ruby to be fully included, not just within our own family, but especially at school. I really want the world to see what inclusion looks like. So many moms ask me, you know, well, what, what does it look like? What do I even ask for? We're gonna do six minus one. All right, roll it to the middle so I can reach it. Ruby inspired me and my husband to start the nonprofit Ruby's Rainbow. And today, she's still inspiring us to turn our scrappy little organization into a movement to show the world what true inclusion can look like. From Ruby's Rainbow, this is a story of inclusion. All right, I'm looking for kids that are sitting down. Reading quietly. It's just after 7am and Ruby's kindergarten class is just getting started. Good job Ruby. I like how you got started. We feel super lucky to have Ruby here at Cowan Elementary, our local neighborhood school where she's been placed within a general education class with 22 other typically developing kids. This is not the norm in all schools, a lot of families have to fight for just what you guys do here naturally totally um, I think it benefits everyone. I think it benefits the um, Inclusion kids that are in there and everyone else in the classroom. It gives them peer role models and peers that they're their same age level. They're so compassionate, and kind, and caring.
2: Two and five. Okay, so take off five. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, so break off that one.
3: And you know, that's something that we would talk about anyway, is including everybody, and being good friends, and being kind. Yeah, it's not just you telling them, oh, this is how you're supposed to be, but them actually living it and, and doing it every day. Yeah.
0: So just listen to a clip of Ruby's story. I can tell that Ruby is a resilient person. Her support system wanted to ensure she had the same opportunities as any other child in the classroom, which led to the nonprofit organization, Ruby's Family Started, Ruby's Rainbow. Ruby's Rainbow is to grant scholarships to adults with Down syndrome who are seeking post-secondary education, enrichment or vocational classes, helping them achieve their dreams of higher education. In comparison to Ruby's Story, the goal I wanted for my students was to help them to become completely independent, meaning I wanted students to follow procedures and routines without being told, complete a task for a certain amount of time, and able to learn new skills that any other child could learn. This leads me to a new focus of how students with disabilities grow up and continue in their independence in the workforce. We will talk more about it after the break. chose this life-changing moment as a topic for the podcast I chose the soundtrack Flames by David Guetta and Sia because the lyrics describe my process of overcoming the challenges when I taught an in inclusion class the lyric says one foot in front of the other one breath leads to another just keep moving look within for the strength today listen now for the voice to say just keep moving go 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 figure it out figure it out, but don't stop moving. Go, 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 figure it out, figure it out. You can do this. The lyric speaks to the numerous times I chose to persevere despite my inadequacies in reaching students and the patience it took to find and develop the skills needed to master a trying process. Welcome back, welcome back. (laughs) All right, so NJTV News features disabled high school students who are given the opportunity to perform paid tasks in the workforce. Let's listen to how they made this happen.
1: Just after dawn, these Brick Township High School students suit up for their work day at Harrowgate retirement community. Put it in a the boat. These are reliable employees, they know their job, they come in every day, they're grateful for it. Zachary Corjuan and Giovanni Mancini are interns here. They're part of the Brick Township School District's Structured Learning Experience, a program for students with special needs. It was uh, designed so that we could get the students out into the community, get them real life experiences, um, job experience. What began with about 20 students has grown to 75 and now nearly 50 local businesses have joined. Giovanni and Zach are bused to this retirement community nearly every day of the week and work during the early morning hours. What does it feel like to come here and work? Happy. Why does it make you Happy. <laughs>
2: It makes smile.
1: Okay, ready? Come to this side. Interns are typically paired with mentors like Betty Glenn, who show them the ropes. The workplace is a strong place to learn different tasks managers, supervisors, co workers. Giovanni lines the dining trays with paper, sanitizes the menus, and covers cups of ice cream for hungry residents. The best part for him?
2: Helping people.
0: He's a very good, strong person here and I think he'll do well out out in the world. About two dozen
1: businesses involved in the program have hired their student interns like Giovanni. Since 2010, about 25% of those students have landed paid positions. Giovanni graduates in June. Are you hoping to land a full-time job here? Yes. So far, Harrogate's hired three of their student interns. They know what their tasks are. They perform them in a timely manner. They get them done correctly. And that, that's very, very important. And that's not always possible with mainstream youth of America. But it seems though they... It's program coordinators work to place students in positions based on their interests. Interns must be at least 16 years old. They earn five classroom credits per semester while on the job. It's very, very important because a lot of the kids, it's not even so much the tasks that they're learning. It's the social skills and just all the daily things that you and I take for granted that for them, they need that extra help. What's the best part about coming here?
2: Learning how to work and do the task and work with people.
1: Zach, too, is graduating this year. He's part of the housekeeping team and tells us he really wants to work here full time. Have you told anybody here that you're really interested? Not yet. We think Harrogate Retirement community might have an idea after today. People need to need to realize how valuable these students are in the workplace as well and, and that's really our goal is to advocate for their needs. In Lakewood, I'm Lauren Wonko and News.
0: I love how students grow and develop in the workforce to prepare for the real world. Although students with disabilities have the choice to take any path, the program allows students to experience an opportunity that makes them feel included and valued. I chose to focus on disabled individuals who became independent because teaching an inclusion class is an unforgettable moment for me. They taught me to use new techniques and strategies that I believe can work in any classroom. I learned a variety of management skills, organization, and developed patience and interactive ways children can learn. I have so many pictures of us learning through read aloud, hands-on math projects, and book parades. And I also developed a relationship with their parents. By November of last year, people in the school began to say, this is a good class. That class developed me into a skillful and experienced teacher That makes me feel confident in leading and tackling any obstacles ahead of me. Well, I'm sorry to say it is the end of the show, but thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you soon.